Welcome to Fruit Snacks, a weekday podcast that covers big ideas about the Christian worldview in a bite-sized format. Hey everyone, happy Wednesday. We're going to get right into it here, but just like I said I would say earlier on Monday's episode, we're going to start right off with a PG-13 warning for this episode, and I'm probably just going to drop this up front on every episode until we get through the end of next week, which would be episode 175. We're going to look at some heavy stuff And we're going to sort of weave through different aspects of human wickedness over the next couple of weeks because we're answering the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And part of what I want us to ask before we have a sort of knee-jerk or reflexive answer to that question is, what makes you say that there are such a thing as good people? And as I said yesterday, I'm going to do my best to prove that to us, that uh, there really aren't good people. But it's better to back a statement like that up with evidence and facts uh, rather than just asserting it. So that's what we're going to do over the next several episodes. First, though, I want to start with a couple passages of Scripture that reinforce this point. In Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, we read this. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood." And in Genesis 6, 5, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Do we believe that? Do we really believe that when the Bible says that this is true about humans, do we believe the Bible? Do we we believe what God says? Or do we think that maybe... It's an exaggeration. Do we think that maybe it applies to some people, maybe even most people, but not everyone? Well, I think we should take the Bible at its word. It says every intention was only evil continually, and we're going to look at what people were like, but also are like, because we might be tempted to say, well, that was that was then. It was a brutal time in the ancient world, and people just did awful, awful things to one another. That was then, though. We're more civilized now. Well, let's see, shall we? In Leviticus chapter 18, verse 6, the Lord commands this, None of you shall approach any of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. Now, uncovering nakedness is a euphemism in Semitic culture for sexual intercourse. And so this is a prohibition against incest, adultery within uh, families, and so on and so forth. Now, again, if we're going to say, well, that was then, they did all kinds of weird stuff like polygamy and arranged marriage and all these other things. We don't do any of that stuff. Well, 
there are a few articles relatively recently, like within the last several years. Uh, I'm just going to read you some headlines. Uh, one, this is an older, the older of these headlines says, North Carolina father and biological daughter charged with incest after having baby. Now, as if that wouldn't be bad enough, there is a follow-up headline that happened a couple years later, which says, woman who married her birth father is laid to rest along with their baby after shocking murders. Now, this might be just a, a couple people who went off the rails and mainstream people don't think like this, right? And that's true, but let's count on the good old academics to come to our rescue, or not. <laughs> this was uh, from uh, skeptic.com in one of the articles that was written about incest. And the, the article reads, there's an excerpt from it that reads as follows. After doing extensive meta-analysis, the National Society of Genetic Counselors concluded that, overall, cousin marriage increases the risk of children with genetic defects by 1.7%, roughly the same added risk as a 40-year-old woman having a child. If no law forbids a woman in her 40s to have children, why should cousins be forbidden to engage in a practice that carries the same risk? Allowing someone with Huntington's disease to get married, but not allowing cousins to do the same, is far from moral consistency. I love how, I love how this article takes the moral high ground, as if they're wagging their finger at all of us because we're hypocrites, right? As if there's no fundamental difference whatsoever between a woman in her 40s who is having a child and two cousins who are having sex in an incestuous relationship. No, no difference whatsoever. But notice also, what is the commonality that is focused on? The risk of birth defects. As if that is the only thing that's on the table. It's the only thing to think about. Consequences, in other words are the only thing that matters. And if the consequences are, or the chance of consequences are low enough, then who cares? Let people just do whatever they want. Let me give you one more. Leviticus 18, 19, it says, you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness while she is in her menstrual uncleanness. Now, in the Hebrew culture, women uh, on their menstrual cycle and the uncleanness thereof, this was not a moral uh, uncleanness, but there was a ritual uncleanness that came with this and came with all discharge of bodily fluids. I'll just say it that way. So it applied at times to men as well. Uh, touching dead bodies resulted in ritual uncleanness and, and other things like this. However, there was a respect for Life. There was a respect for the natural cycles and the way that God created the human body. There was a respect for it and there was a reverence for when something was happening within the body. We don't look at bodies that way anymore. And I'm going to just read three articles that can come up if you do a couple of searches. Uh, let's see how our society looks at just this topic of menstruation, menstrual cycle, and uh, female anatomy in general. These three articles read, and I quote, I cook for my husband using menstrual blood. 
Here's a YouTube video titled Women Paint with Period Blood for Feminism. And then last article titled Eating the Placenta, What to Expect. We're so much more civilized than these people, aren't we? Well, we're going to go much further down the rabbit hole. We're just getting started. Uh, and in case you're wondering, oh, these aren't really super mainstream topics. I understand that. We're working our way through a passage in Leviticus that deals with all sorts of moral commands to, to the Israelites. And I want us to go just line by line in Leviticus 18 here for a little bit. And we're just going to do some direct comparison. So this is where the passage starts or really sort of picks up. So we started there. Tomorrow, we're going to turn our attention to Leviticus 18.21, which has to do with child sacrifice. 